Forgecast. My name's Sam Towns. I'm Alex Norton. And I'm Jesse Miller. That's right. We've got another awesome guest on. Thank you very much for joining us, Jesse. Yeah. Before we get around to you, though, we're going to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Today's Forgecast is brought to you by Rob at Weber Abrasives. So hit him up at webers.net.au the next time you're stocking up. And while you're shopping, make sure to visit nordicedge.com.au for the best supply of knife-making tools, steels, and other materials around, shipping Australia-wide and abroad. Yeah, so uh, what have you been up to this week, Alex? You know, my usual thing, having calm, um, logical discussions with the community about various <laughs> topics. Um, I've also been making a, um, a switchblade for Koi Baker, which has mm. been taking up most of my time. It's, um, it's a complex project because not only is it a switchblade, which is tricky to make to begin with, um, I am deliberately making this thing insanely high-end. Um, or as insanely high end as I'm capable of with hand tools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's it's coming along really good. It's become my favorite fidget toy in the world, and I, I really want to keep it, but I can't. Um, but in regard to the um, doing it all with hand tools, I've grown sick of that. And I, uh, as I mentioned in an earlier episode, I've ordered a mill for them myself. I've um, never owned one before, so I'm very excited to have one coming. But... Um, as anybody that's ordered a mill before uh, and introduced a mill to their shop, they, they, they'll very quickly realize that you pretty much have to spend what you spent on the mill again in tooling for it. Um, so that's all been slowly drip feeding in because the mill is taking ages to get here um, as anything large takes to get to Tasmania. But uh, the tooling has been showing up, and uh, so a lot of my time has been spent uh, meticulously cleaning Cosmoline off things, <laughs> which is pretty much how new tool days work, um, and a lot of study because uh, as much as people like to give me flack for um, saying, you know, oh, I'm getting a mill and saying, oh, you know, you're not going to be making handmade things anymore, uh, mills don't just make things for you you don't just put a stack of raw materials on the deck and off it goes um as we've talked about in past episodes so there is quite a bit of learning curve to getting the most out of one so i've been doing a lot of study work um and i also have a new video uh that will be out by the time this episode goes live actually um it's a probably a long-awaited part two to my uh my video that caused all that stir back 18 months ago. Um, and the uh, the techniques that I've refined have, have changed shape a bit over the last 18 months, so I thought it was about time I put out an updated uh, video. So, um, yeah, by the time this goes live, it will be uh, on the interwebs, so people need to make sure they check out my YouTube channel and, and, and see that. My uh, song of the week this week is from a really obscure band, um, I heard the song and it's been stuck in my head and I've been listening to it heaps. Um, mm. and I thought this band must, must be pretty popular. And I, I had to do some serious looking to find them. Like they're really, really obscure. Um, the, the band's name is Mojave phone booth, which is, um, <laughs> named after a, an elusive phone booth in the middle of the Mojave desert, which, um, it was put there for some miners that were working there at a local quarry or something. And then that quarry shut down, but the, they never disconnected the phone booth. So people will be driving through the desert and there's just nothing. And then they find a phone booth that actually works. Um, That's weird. And it became, became sort of a tourist attraction before it finally got shut down. Um, but it was so popular that somebody actually set up a, like a fake phone interchange for that number. So people could still call it. Um, but yeah, this band named themselves after it. Uh, and they did a song called Video Creep, which is just brilliant. It, it's sort of, there was this 
short era of a few years in the 90s where sort of it was before emo became a thing you guys remember sam knows the emo era i remember (laughs) but but just just before the emo era was that um before vampires were mainstream there was this obsession with vampires in the 90s and all every time there was imagery brought up, kind of like the the Vampire the Masquerade series, and people reading about Lestat and all that sort of thing, and it was very popular. Uh, and in that time, the the whole image of a vampire nightclub had this very specific style of music, um, which sort of eventually evolved into um, emo music. It was very sort of gothic, but modern gothic music. And Mojave phone booth have that sound, um, which is probably why they're not very popular anymore. That, <laughs> we're talking like 25 years ago. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they played on it a lot in movies like The Matrix and, and video games like uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines and things like that. But um, if, if, you, if you remember that awesome era of music uh, sort of like melancholy but also upbeat and and a, a little bit electronic or a little bit of you know melodic it's it's kind of weird um but yeah their song video creep is 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 it's something that will really stick in your head and i'm amazed they didn't like pivot and become a more popular band because it's a really good sound it's actually it's just a husband and wife team doing all of it all the vocals cool. all the music it's it's really quite cool uh, and I've found they do have a diehard following of, of like 500 people. <laughs> so, um, yeah, check them out. What about you, Sam? What have you been up to this week? Oh, um, not trying not to die of the heat uh, again. Mm-hmm. We've got another week of uh, almost 40 degree days, um, mm. which is annoying, um, especially because, you know, I've been trying to get that set of uh, scissors forged for grace. Um yeah, because I want to send them off so that I, you know, that all gets started. Because it's going to take like six weeks to get to her. Um, <laughs> but um, yesterday, I spent the day doing Damascus prep, um, prepping a four-pound billet um, to do some work for the Viking sword that I'm going to make. Um, uh, obviously, I made a billet before, and I ground it and heat treated it and all that kind of stuff and i just didn't love it i I hated it actually it was too snaky and not the right shape for what i wanted and so i yeah i basically gave it away to a friend of mine um (laughs) i'm gonna start again uh because you know that's the kind of thing we do um but yeah i've also got um a couple of cutlass bowl hilts that i'm working on at the moment um replacing the old ones on the trainers that i made for my club, uh, because they were way oversized, like the ones that I made originally. Um, I, I kind of, I basically just wanted to test the blades, and so I wasn't too worried about how accurate the size of hilts were, but the size of the hilts that I made was so ridiculously oversized that they were really badly weighted. So I'm remaking those. Um, and I'm also working on the Pugio dagger that I got ordered last year that I oh, forged. yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Rome, Roman, isn't it? Roman yeah, style yeah that's it. Yeah. Roman dagger, yeah. It's it's, it's kind of Roman-esque. It, it is a little bit more modern. Um, the customer themselves designed the whole thing. Right. Um, so it's it's Roman-inspired. Yeah, <laughs> it's Roman-inspired. Uh, and it's going to have Nordic runes engraved into it. So, okay. well, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a... It's a choice. Fusion. It's a fusio. <laughs> a fusio, that's right. Um, but yeah, so my, my main job this week is just to, to get this Damascus billet forged out. Um, I've got to, I'm starting with like 23 layers, and then I'm going to probably layer that twice, then chuck some ADCRV2 in there and layer it a couple more times, get a nice high layer billet. Um, and yeah, I'm hoping for like 280 to 300 layers uh, with some nice big dark lines in it as well, just to give it a little bit more pop. Uh, and I reckon that'll look good on a sword blade. Um, and then I got to forge all the fittings and stuff. Fun, fun, fun. Uh, and uh, yeah, also want to start working on some sparring blades. Um, I found a HEMA club here in Perth um, that kind of reestablished itself last year. 
um, and they're growing quite quickly. So um, there won't just be my Hema Club to sell to locally. So <laughs> having Very a cool. few demonstrative pieces to uh, to sell to the club would be nice uh, when I go up there to help uh, to to do some uh, sparring and some training. Yeah, uh, because yeah, obviously I run my uh, my little sparring group, my little Hema group. Um, so yeah. That's that's kind of been everything right now. Um, ugh, yeah, just just madness at the moment. Trying to avoid the heat and mm. making hospital runs and stuff. It's been fun. Autumn cannot come fast enough. Oh, seriously, I can't wait. Fall <laughs> just... for our American guest. Yes, yes. <laughs> fall because leaves fall down. It called it called fall good leaf fall. <laughs> Um, my song of the week, uh, I've been on a little bit of a Disney kick recently. Um, my, my ex, um, my ex's daughter, um, had a Disney plus account and she shared it with us. So I went and watched a bunch of the, my old favorite Disney movies and I watched Encanto, the newest one, which is actually really good. Um, but it put me on a Disney kick on my Spotify playlist and I came across a song that I absolutely adore and literally everyone from the nineties remembers and adores. Um, and it's by a guy named Roger Miller, and the song is Oodalali from the Robin Hood animated movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, even if you don't remember it, the moment you start hearing it, you'll remember it. <laughs> it's funny, I'm, I'm, a, um, I'm very familiar with a lot of Disney films. I've never watched Robin Hood. <gasps> You've never, oh, never, disappointed. Yeah, I know. Emotional damage. It's one of those things. It's, it's <laughs> weird, but yeah. I was that was probably one of my favorite Disney movies of all time. Growing up, absolutely loved the animated Robin Hood. Yeah. But uh, with that being said, we have the fantastically talented Jesse Miller with us uh, here on the show. Yes. Um, thank you very much for uh, for taking some time out to talk to us, Jesse. Absolutely. I'm what do you, What have you been here. up to this week? So far this week, um, you know, I, I've been working at the forge. Uh, we're working on <laughs> a few things um, as a group. This is the Sugar Creek Forge. We're fulfilling an order that we have with a um, commercial client of ours. We've been working at that, and it's quite uh, quite different here at the moment. It's pretty cold. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still Jealous. ice on the ground. Is <laughs> is the main thing? I I see this this crap. This is what we get here. So the, the it it rained and snowed, and then it froze, and so we got this crust, and then it snowed on top of that, and then we got more ice. So we got this like ice snow ice thing that happened (laughs) and which was fine except when all the snow is gone you just have this nice sheet of ice and that's what we're dealing with it's a little dangerous but Mm. it makes a makes a really good excuse to light the forge (laughs) yep (laughs) it's always nice to light the forge on a cold day get it nice and hot yes Yep. In the morning, it's it's funny if um, if I arrive first, I you know on mornings like today, I'll I'll light our ribbon burner for ten minutes and just let it run. Uh, Jordan Jordan will do the same thing, or Tim will will light it. But um, I I like it a little cooler in the shop. I like to work uh, oh when it's anywhere from fifty to sixty degrees Fahrenheit. That'd be a little toasty uh, centigrade, but. Um, uh, Jordan likes it a little warmer, so he'll let that forge run and get a little warm, toasty little forge in there. Those are the best when Jordan gets there first, has it all mm-hmm. nice and toasty in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and any the other personal thing, projects you're working on? Yeah, the personal project I'm I'm working on um, is a a western. It's a western chef. It's a it's a grind that that I haven't really really tried. I I'm not. I've, I've ground an S into a Nakiri um, before, um, meaning just, you know, large hollows um, in the flats, where the flats would be. But I've never done it on a, uh, on a, a curved blade. 
And um, I, I'm starting with a, a little thicker stock than I normally would. So it's been interesting, <laughs> interesting learning about the geometry and the, the little differences, the nuances um, of, of working with that grind pattern. Mm. Nothing like a, a, a bit of curve in a blade to make you realize you're not as confident on your grinder as you thought you were. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I feel like that every week. You know, sometimes <laughs> I'll approach the grinder to work and I can just grind things just seemingly without thinking about it. And the very next day, I will, I just can't get anything right. Um, it's like every every time I put something against the plat and it leaves a mark I don't like, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you uh, want, are... do you use a um, like a glass platen or something? Um, I, I I use a, our platen is is a two, um, so the 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 grinders that we're we use mostly, you know, that see the most use would be our, our TW nineties. We have two of them. Um, those come with a with a really a good hardened platen. Um, they survive pretty well, but uh, Pyrex would be better. That is an upgrade we should do. I think it's a, one that everyone should do. Really, uh, eventually, <laughs> yep. it's it's the those little divots that wear away in your platen are something that creep up on you incredibly slowly, and you don't notice it's there until you're working on that really special project. Yeah. And you're hand sanding and you're, you're supposed to be removing uh, 220 grit scratches and you're finding pockets of terror. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, I always, I, I kind of rely, um, there's, there's a reason too sometimes that I, I use a lot of, of 201 nickel in, in my billets. I'll put it in there. Mm -hmm. They sprinkle it in there kind of like a like a spice, you know. But it also serves this awesome purpose when I'm grinding, especially on a San Mai billet that's a little bit maybe temperamental. Or you know how it is when you can't find the middle and you're like, Where are you, middle? Um, or you're you're trying to you're just convinced that it's not there and it appears, but the the nickel the nickel just tells me the whole story. Because you know you know how it lights it lights up uh, kind of a of a um oh the spark is different when you hit it and then mm-hmm. when you when you hit a nice layer on the grinder you feel like you've hit armor because you have essentially i guess um so you'll you'll feel it resist you and you know where you're at in your billet um and then you can just i can just glance at it um and yeah. wherever it's the sheen is that you know yellow color it just guides mm-hmm. me um and then it look I, I love the way um 201 nickel Sheet stock looks in the etch. I worry sometimes um, on my sand my that my nickel's going to cross my edge. Um, but I think on on certain pieces that would be acceptable. Where on others, um, maybe not. But um, that's that's been the biggest challenge on the higher layer sand my billets I, I've been working with is trying to maintain that that center yeah mm. a lot yeah, of it comes down to prepping the bill as you're making it as well like doing putting that extra bit of concentration and time <laughs> into flipping and getting that nice uh sort of centralized location of it yeah, yeah. sand my is where we start wishing for rolling mills <laughs> <laughs> yes yes yeah. and in fact we um we we found a rolling mill we add, we added a rolling mill to the shop. Um, oh, maybe two months ago. Uh, none of us are terribly familiar with how to use it, and I'm I'm not a f- I'm I guess I'm not I'm not paranoid about it, but it scares me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that thing. You think it's gonna like pull you in and? Well, it you know it it it, it works. You you know you feed your your workpiece in, and then when you actuate it. It, it's, it feeds it back at you, you know, so I don't worry that it's going to suck me in. It's just the, um, I, I'm imagining what's taking place. That motor on, it says it's running at, at 1,800 RPMs, and it is. And that roller is spinning very slowly, mm. <laughs> and I just that, can't help. That torque. 
Yeah, I can't help but think that 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 little opening between those rollers just does not care what's in it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coy Baker's only a ten-hour drive away. You could always go and uh, get a crash course with him. I mean, the the flippancy with which those guys at Team Baker just go in and out of their rolling mill scares me. <laughs> well, I was again, watching. Like, you, you guys run a nasal three B power hammer. <laughs> I'd be pretty. Yeah, yeah that doesn't care what's between the dies either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd be more yeah. scared of the, the you know, 200 pound ram coming down at freaking light <laughs> speed towards my hand. Yeah, that, that, um, that took some getting used to. It's, it's what surprised me the most about that, about that Nazelle is how precise it is. I did not realize how precise a power hammer was. No, mm. uh, it's, it's when we got the dies, you know, we're, we're, we're servicing the machine at the moment, but. When the dies are true, uh, you can you can be so gentle with it. Um, in fact, I I I used it to planish my my uh, my copper um, laminated billet. Um, mm-hmm. I, I planished with it um, and just you know real light pressure, light light light. Um, I didn't turn it on edge or anything, but you can do, you can be very aggressive with that. Um, you can change the shape of something dramatically and, and abruptly. Um, but you can also, uh, you can also just planish and you can, you can work material. Um, you can work prolytic material with it if you're careful. Cold. I like seeing those videos where uh, people have a, an open matchbox resting on the bottom die and they'll very yeah. carefully tap the matchbox in it closed is. and then smash it. <laughs> it's really neat. When you listen to the machine working, you hear this blow off. Um, mm. I don't know what I'm listening to and I don't know exactly how this thing works, but when you hear that, that thing blowing off the air, you get a sense of how much force is being imparted on that ram. Um, yep. in the little blow off cycles, it's, it's pretty, pretty incredible to have access to it. We are, we are spoiled, spoiled, rotten brats. And while you're working, is there, uh, has there been a particular song tickling your, your ear lollipops? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, in, you know, incidentally, I, a, a few weeks back, a few couple months back, I found a, I found a cello. I've been looking for a cello for a really long time and I found one and it's an American, it's a North American made cello from uh, 1845. And so the song that's been in my head for two months, and I know this is a little, little boring maybe, but it's, it's box um, prelude, uh, the cello suite in G major. That's what's been in my head. (laughs) Yeah. That's all right. That's a second uh, week in a row our guest has suggested classical music. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's um, no. It's, it's. I was actually hoping that you were going to drop uh, an apocaly- apocalyptica song. Have you ever heard <laughs> of that band? What's that? Have you ever heard of the band Apocalyptica? No. Uh-uh. It's it's a, a a heavy metal band, and they do covers of things like Metallica and that. But they all use classical instruments, particularly <clears throat> cellos. Really? And it's mm-hmm. exquisite to listen to. If you haven't heard their cover of Nothing Else Matters, all with cellos, it is haunting. It is. Oh, I'm certainly going haunting. to look for that immediately when we're done yes, with this. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it, um, here I was thinking you might might throw out like a cover by the two cellos. Um, oh yeah, those brothers. guys are insane. Like Thunderstruck <laughs> by two cellos. I yeah. love the Thunderstruck cover. Yeah, yeah. I need to look into this. I am. I am. I've been living under a rock. There's, a, <laughs> there's just a, a, a bunch of people that um, you know, people that when they're kids, they're forced to learn a musical instrument, um, and they uh, they grow up and turn into people that were you know '80s babies originally, and they turn into adults, and they don't want to play classical music, but they've got this talent using it because they were forced to do it as a kid, but then they, they start playing modern music with that instrument. That and is there's so this cool. whole subgenre of, of cl- you know, classical music styling covers of like metal and rock songs, which is, oh, it's amazing to listen to. There's so that much power really cool. in it. 
but um, yeah, uh, it's uh, definitely a, a fun addition to the a, a bit of classical. Our, our playlist that we've been building up is probably the possibly the most eclectic playlist uh, on the internet. So adding a bit of classical to it will help mellow it out a little bit. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> next, next we need somebody to suggest some Mongolian throat music or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just to you know, add a little bit of spice. <laughs> that certainly would. Now we like to ask uh, each guest that comes onto the show um, to tell us the story of their their main anvil. Like, where, where, how did it, how did it come to you? And a lot of people have multiple anvils, but uh, everyone's got one that's kind of their favorite. Um. So, so you'd be you'd be wondering about like the anvil that I use. Your main, I, yeah, your, your favorite. You don't. We favorite. don't tell the other anvils that it's your favorite. But <laughs> well, the one, the the one that's mine. Um, I it came to me. I it's it's so interesting, and I'm just gonna be like totally honest with you. I don't. I use Tim's anvil more than I use anyone else's. Mm-hmm. Um, mine, I need to have it refurbished, but it's special to me because. This this when I when I started smithing, um, and learning about about knife making, it wasn't that long ago, three years ago, and I I got into it and I didn't know what I was doing, not not at all. I I took a class, a, lo- a local uh, blacksmith uh, at Sugar Creek Forge. <laughs> My friend and mentor Tim, uh, he he taught the class. I took a class there. And there were three people there that were very interested in making things with their hands. And they showed us the way, you know, to do it. And and that just sparked my interest. I don't know for a fact if it would have been knife making or if it had to be knife making at that point in my life. But there was something about the anvil and a hammer and the fire that inspired me. Um, it kind of woke something up and, and when I went searching for an anvil, I didn't know where to look and I didn't know where to start. I didn't really know the knife making community. I didn't, I didn't know that you find anvils by going to usually to, uh, you know, uh, antique stores and places that maybe don't know they have a special anvil, but I put the feelers out and a person that that I don't get along with at all, um, a local person um, that I just you know had had some issues with, um, who's now a friend of mine, a really good friend through this anvil. He he um, he said, "Hey, I know I know where there's an anvil," and I was like, "What? You know how do you how do you why would you know where there's an anvil?" He's very I not he's he's not in he's not a farrier nothing like that. Um, and he said, well, there was just, a, there was always an anvil at my house growing up and it's still probably at my mom's over in Columbus, which is the capital city here in Ohio. And I, I said, well, I would love to have that. And he said, I'll, you know, I'll get it for you. And so he went and got it and it's a 150 pound anvil that was made in Columbus, Ohio here. And <laughs> the base of it is wrought iron. Um, and, and it has a, it has an, some kind of an insert that was put in later. I, I don't know exactly, you know, how they did it, but what it looks like they did was at some point, I think they, someone milled the top of it out and replaced it with a piece of tool steel. Right. So, so the, it's, it's forged, it, it's reforged welded. I, I don't know how they did it, but the top's not, not wrought iron. It's like a Franken uh, anvil. Yeah, but the base is, and and what's cool is it has its original stamp. It's, it's got its foundry stamp, or its its forge stamp, and then it has some repair stamps that go along with it. And um, I, I just love um, its history. And but the top needs to be re resurfaced. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to break it by using it. Um, but it's. I just like the way it rings back at me. Um, just it, it talks to me mm. when I'm using it. It's funny the uh, attachment that you get to one is you start knowing it like the back of your hand. Mm-hmm. 
It is. It's, I, I, I just recently um, I bought a hammer from, I, I hope I'm saying his, his name correctly. I think his name is Neetzen, Neetzen Lily, um, an Israeli hammer maker. And I love this hammer. It, it's, it's a short-handled hammer. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a short guy. I'm not a, I'm not a tall person. Um, I have shorter arms. So this hammer being short works really well. I can grip it really high and the, the weight of it is just right. And, um, before I was using other hammers in the shop that, um, you know, that weren't mine. And this one sort of feels like it's mine. Yeah. Right. Yep. It feels at home in your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Sam is, uh, if you're unfamiliar with his work, is actually quite a talented hammersmith himself. And um, I've, I've got, I've had a couple of his, um, and his one of his is like that with me at the moment. It's an English cutler's hammer, and it just every time I pick it up, even if I'm not looking at it, um, my hand just slides into the same spot every time. Um, it's just like it was made for it. And having That's the right awesome. hammer, uh, it just it makes a world of difference to your work. Yeah. When you totally. know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the you, you mentioned a, a, a smith that you admire the work of. With um, what was? How did you spell his name? Did you find him on social media or? Um, say say that again. The the hammer smith that you got the hammer from did he does he have oh, social yeah. media? Yeah, um, Neetzen Neetzen Lily. Um, it'd be let's see N I T Z E N L I L I E. I think is his handle on Instagram. I should right. double check that. Because um, yeah, it'd be I mean if it's a somebody doing good yeah. work, we'd like to shout him out. Yeah, Nitzan is uh, N-I-T-Z-A-N-L-I-L-I-E. Yeah, there he is, Nitzan Lily. Yeah, he's um, I, you know, he's he's from Portland, but um, he, I think he, I think he's an Israeli guy. I think he grew up in Israel. Maybe I feel like I I saw that somewhere. Um, but yeah, very, he, he very put short out, handled hammers. Yeah, they're they're really cool, and he he just did a series of reels on Instagram, um, instruction instructional reels on how to use his hammer style. Mm-hmm. Really cool stuff. I'm interested to cool. know if it's if it's very similar to uh, something like Uri Hofi's uh, techniques, given mm. that they have very similar hammer styles. This is interesting. He he approaches his anvil, um, you know, long ways. Um, so instead of, instead of approaching it, you know, um, at a 90 degree, you know, he, he works with it, um, differently. He, he, um, he approaches, as he approaches his, his elbow is positioned almost, almost above the horn of the anvil where he's working and he'll work the material, uh, lengthwise across the, the anvil. It's, it's very different than what I was used to seeing. Now, um, do you have uh, any other maker in, in particular that you'd like to give a shout out? Someone whose work inspires you? Yeah. Um, so my actually my my forge mate, um, who just like pushes me uh, to do better. Uh, Jordan Chumney Chumney Knives. Yeah, he's that a great guy. guy. He the. His 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 skill is just incredible. Um, working, getting to work with him um, every week, and uh, just see what he comes up with is is a huge blessing for me. Um, and it's it just it really spurs me on to push my own craft further. Yeah, uh, it's like a good a good. It's almost like a brotherly sort of one-upmanship like i'm gonna <laughs> if you're gonna do this i'm gonna do that and, but it's it's so good for us as as artists and as people who are who are working with our hands and making things yeah absolutely developing um, processes yeah 
he's um i think it's all just chumney knives all one word yes chumney knives yeah um yeah i've been following jordan for quite a while he's um yeah he's a very talented fella hmm. yeah, he get him on the show too yeah he he is um he just has a totally different approach you know the way he approaches knife making it's it's fascinating and he can tell you this his the story of how he got into it but it's just so interesting. Well, it's, um, it's often important to have those people with a very you know, sort of contrasting and, and, and rare views because otherwise you, you start getting into too, getting too comfortable in a routine and you need to, need to get shaken up, make you think differently sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, um, these, these, um, I, 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 I get into, to the habit. I, I think of, um, I sort of I look at knives from other cultures, and I I I love the idea of you know the way it's shaped or something that's different about it, and I try to emulate it and make something that looks like you know a blade that a Creole person would have made in such and such a country. Um, but in doing so, um, I'm able to get these these little little details. I feel like these little details are right that are going to hopefully someday allow me to have a style of my own. I I mean I don't I don't mind saying it at all. I I don't I don't look at it as a shameful thing in in my knife making, but I I don't believe I have a style of my own. I believe that right now I'm still a, a composite of of other people's work that that I love. And it just directly inspires me, and I I try to repeat it so I can learn more. Um, but that'll come, that'll come one day for me. Um, but right now, I just I'm so blessed to uh, to be pushed by my friends and other guys who are who are just trying to push too, so we can all get better. Yeah, I I first actually discovered you from a very particular knife that you made that made the rounds on social media quite extensively. Um, you probably remember the piece you did it to raise money for Alzheimer's. It was yeah. um, the one with the the bog oak and uh, the purple. Um, what was it? It was um, yeah, it was big leaf maple. Big leaf maple, yeah, and ivory. Yeah, oh, ivory G10. Um, yes gorgeous mm-hmm. knife and it caught my eye um back then because it, it it really did the rounds like you got some good reach <laughs> um on that and i hope the charity auction went well i never saw the oh, it did. results yeah. of it but that was back in 2019 i think yeah um and following you since it's just been uh, incredible thing after incredible thing we actually had uh, a previous guest we've had on the show was sarah from soulbound leather yeah um, who did that amazing feather uh, looked like yes. a folded wing sheath for what was it called? Ar- Archangel that knife or something? Um, that was called. Um, that was actually called Valkyrie. Valkyrie, that's right. Yeah, that was called Valkyrie. And the, yeah, that the, one. That, that sheath was incredible. <laughs> oh yeah, that that made the whole the whole package. I mean, really, that that knife. Um, you know where I got the idea from? That knife it was from yeah. from you. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you you were showing something you were doing, and it had a, a it had a tapered tang, I think. But I got the profile right off of a of a post. Yeah, I, I think I remember that knife. Because <laughs> I I that I mean I I gather if I see something cool, I'll, I mean this is exactly what I do. I will look at Instagram, and if I see something amazing, I I will save it. And when I'm when I can't figure out what to draw, I just start looking at my my inspir- my inspiration file on there that my save to collection thing, and I just start looking at everything I think is awesome and pretty, and then I draw a picture. It's and, quite funny the the circularity of this moment here because you're saying <laughs> it's inspired by a knife of mine. I'm looking at a picture of it, and I remember the knife that I made that looks like that. <laughs> that knife was me experimenting with harpoon point blades, which was directly inspired by the work of Sam. <laughs> that was my first, that was my first time playing with a harpoon point um, that I made that <laughs> knife. So 
Like it's all come together now. We're all oh, in the same cool. room. <laughs> it came full circle. That's awesome. <laughs> but it's just funny how that works. And I recently, um, it's been it's been hard. The, the, I I don't know if 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 the community is getting bigger or just getting more um, um, it just expansive, but um, the. I think I think that in our craft, especially in uh, in any craft now, more important than ever is um, that we share information with each other. Mm. And if we have a pro- if we develop a process and and we want to push each other um, to excellence and to do better, that we we should we do share that we should share. Um, our findings and our information. I feel like a little bit of that's been lost recently, you know. And I, I when when the first time I went to the National Gallery here in, in the U.S., I I saw art students sitting in front of 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 paintings, um, copying them. And I, at the time, I, I thought. Nothing more than oh, it's a student and they're learning about painting. And I think, well, why why should that be any different? Why should it be different for me to look at something that is made by Shane Carter or J. W. Randall or uh, you know a master smith that I really admire by Kelly Vermeer? Why can't I look at their work and try to build something that they've made? Why can I not do that? Why is that not okay? Um, all of a sudden in the knife making community. I don't understand. Quite famously, uh, Alex has quoted Neil Gaiman again and again, that in order to sound like yourself, you should sound like someone else first. Mm, You got to sound like a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, But I mean, it's, this is, this is exactly why, I mean, the the Forgecast has been going for over three years now. And uh, every episode, whether there's a guest on or not, we try and introduce the listeners to new people talking about um, when we've got a guest on, we ask them for their inspiration of the week. Uh, When we don't have a guest on, Sam and I have an inspiration of the week. And it's specifically to expose people to the work of people they may not know about. And that community drive to actually try and bring everyone together to show what they're working on to let people see it and think maybe like like um, like Torpen29, who I, I was my inspiration a while back, he's doing uh, slip joints. He's known for his slip joints, but he's, his slip joint mechanisms are unlike anything anybody else is working on. Mm. And I got a lot of messages about that with people going, I never even thought to think <laughs> of a different way of doing <laughs> slip joints. I never had the thought to actually pursue that there might be another way to do it. And now it's just blown their mind that it makes them relook at everything. And it, that's what it should be about. It should be expanding those horizons for everybody. And in order to push a limit, you have to convince yourself that there aren't rules. Because if there's rules, you start working within those rules. If you don't think that there's rules, then you don't ever find boundaries. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a very well said. That is very well said. And that is why you guys will have such a good time talking to Jordan. <laughs> Jordan Chumney. He, yeah. um, is, yeah. There's another uh, fellow who um, comes to mind. Um, there, I, I don't know what his story is. He's a, he's from the Philippines. Uh, oh, I wish I could find Ryu him. Lim? He, oh, re- no. Um, this is a, uh, oh, shoot. It starts with a B. What is it? Uh, Bull- oh, Ban- Bull- uh, Bannock Knives. He's been our inspiration um, before. This this here is is Sean Alonzo. Um, Balletti or Balletti Knives. Balletti um, Knives. Yeah, yeah. So it's B A L E T E Blades. This dude is amazing. Like he, I don't know what on earth. He he is unencumbered by traditional thinking. Um, his his work is incredible. You guys should check him out for sure. Um, but he's doing stuff with grinds and with forging, and with his uh, contact wheels that just never occurred to me 
period. Like I just, it would not enter my, my sphere unless I saw somebody do it and hear this, this young, like he's a kid, uh, just kicking butt this guy. Good to see him have a solid following too. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's the sort of thing though. I, I hadn't been following him and without you bringing him up, I never would have known about him. Mm. He's just doing amazing stuff. And these guys, they're all over, you know? Um, I, I've been recently, my, my fascination has been with guys, you know, Argent, Argentinian makers, all the guys mm, making down in Just incredible. The, the work of, um, uh, Mauricio Doletsky, um, you have had me had me just enraptured for weeks. I still am. Um, he and Matias Funes are, they're just two of my favorite, uh, Argentinian makers. Um, the style is so nuanced. It's so incredibly nuanced, the Creole knife-making style of Argentina. Um, and I, I'm trying to – I'm working on two projects right now to try to capture that. I don't know if they're, they're – I'm going to pull it off, but um, it, it's just uh, – it's so cool um, what each culture has to bring to the table too. Now, you're um, uh, an ABS apprentice – staring down js working towards js um i am are you do you have plans for are some of these projects that you're working on toward that end or is it still just in the training yourself up ready to do your set or or what's what's i i've i've got my i've got my drawing from my from my five um and you know i've i've really deliberated over this guys like i um <laughs> i mean you want to i want to stay i want to stay simple but i but i don't want to to sell sell myself up the river to it um you guys you guys know that expression mm-hmm. sorry okay mm. um so i i but i want it, i want them to look like they were mine i want it to look like something i made I, I know how to make things. That's my, my worry right now is that they're not going to look like they're mine. Um, I, I feel like I can make something that that is appropriate and and fits the parameters for for the, the test. Um, I can achieve a, a, a reasonably um, uh, consistent 400 grit satin finish on mono steel. Um, I, I had to just, you know, it's just a matter of working that out but the the stylistic parts of it i think that's where i'm getting hung up Um, i'm not sure how much of my style i should bring to that and then apart from that i look at that from the outside and i say well then why am i doing that on one hand so i I have both of those (laughs) yeah just a little bit like um uh you know i being having a i being part of uh, the ABS is awesome. Um, one of the most helpful people <laughs> at, at Blade Show for me was um, uh, uh, Cindy, Cindy Sheely, the gal who who kind of uh, she's the gatekeeper if you call or email. Mm-hmm. Really sweet gal. Um, she really she really helps helps you out if you're new. Um, and the the ABS um, some of the ABS guys and gals. Uh, at the show, they don't, they they don't make you feel stupid for being new, and I do appreciate that. Uh, I just sometimes worry that the style, the style, um, maybe maybe the preferences or things that have historically been put in front of the judging table for that are are maybe a little bit more uh, of a certain style. Yeah, they it's it seems like uh you know you get a lot of buoys. Um yeah. there's very much a look to ABS knives. There there is. There is. And um, unless you're David Lish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just do whatever you want. <laughs> he doesn't give I mean, a damn. Part of, part of that is part of that is kind of um one of the things that I, I find interesting about the ABS is that you know they while people are like oh the ABS are encouraging only one kind of knife they uh, the real thing is they're trying to encourage people to follow a set of criteria. 
Um, they're, they're not really assessing what makes a good knife in most cases. They're assessing what makes a good maker. Um, so, you know, like as far as like stylistic, like I've, I've spoken to a few mastersmiths about it and all of them have said pretty much the same thing, go balls out and just do as like as good a job as you absolutely can do what, like do the crazy stuff, have fun. (laughs) Um, but at the end of the day, they're not really judging your stylistic choices or anything like that. They're judging your fit and your finish. Um, and like when it comes to like the practical tests, a lot of people have pointed out it's like no knife should be you know <laughs> bent to ninety degrees without yeah. breaking. Like that <laughs> that is useless in most choppers <laughs> and stuff like that. It's not about the knife; it's about the maker themselves. And so when you when I approach my like for my five, I'll be approaching it from the point of view of I'm going to make five knives that are technically. I like as good as I can make them whether or not they fit my style doesn't really matter as long as they are you know like evidence that I am of the level that you know can make journeyman smith you're putting uh, I mean, on dis- putting on display um not a, a knife or of a set of knives you're putting on a demonstration of a set of techniques and your mastery of those techniques yeah, precisely. And that's why they encourage people to make like, you know, do one integral, one hidden tang, one full tang, you know, like try different build styles so that you can show that you've got some form of like, you know, a diversity in your skills. Um, and then you look at guys like Jay Nielsen and Dave Lish and all that kind of stuff. You look at the stuff they put forward for JS and MS and it's all relatively simplistic ABS-esque stuff. But then you look at the stuff that they make on a day-to-day basis and it's nothing like that. Mm. Right. Because... It like the ABS stuff wasn't about them making their mark in style. It was about them showing that they were capable of the techniques, yeah, and we then had, they could uh, go on to do all the other stuff that they wanted to do. <laughs> we, we had Jay Nielsen on the show, and he told us that uh, his uh, showpiece dagger um, had oh a the quillion. Fluted, it had a fluted desert ironwood bell handle, and they said to him, "How many pieces of desert ironwood bell did you stuff up making?" Uh, trying to do that and he goes no, no this is my first attempt and they're like bullshit <laughs> <laughs> he just got, he just got it in one he's just that good <laughs> but then wow. he, he has also never made another dagger since then so. <laughs> no he doesn't like daggers and then you get other makers like niels vandenberg who's going for ms as soon as he's able to but we all know he's going to get it but daggers are his whole thing like he's, yeah he's dagger daddy yeah, you know, I, I've I've often wondered, like, you know, it's really hard to make a dagger. It just mm-hmm. is, and um, and then to to make one like he makes it, <laughs> and then do a thing like he just pulled off with that last one. Mm. Just the fine work in that. Are you talking about I, the main gouge that he did? Yeah, it, it almost <laughs> it makes me like I look at it and when I'm done looking at the pictures, I I need a nap. You know, yeah. it's just like it takes you on a journey, and I'm just wondering how on earth he's doing that. I'll, I'll tell you what; um, it, it always seems impossible what he does until you join in the 48 hour dagger challenge that he he hosts every year, because you go into it and it is an impossible thing. But at the end of it, you have a dagger, and you realize <laughs> that impossible is just a word. <laughs> And he's been doing this for a long time. Neil's <laughs> <laughs> so should... is the evidence that nothing is impossible with the right attitude. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Grace Horn, who we had on um, last episode, uh, describes Neil's as her spirit animal. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I, I, we should all be so lucky. <laughs> oh, now, um, she's, she's awesome. You had Grace on last. We did, yeah. Not only oh, is she so an incredible cool. maker, she is an absolute lady. She is, she is a hoot to talk to. She Just is. a wonderful human being. She is. I, I got to meet her um, at uh, two. I think it was, yeah, not this last Blade show, but the the one that took place before that three years ago. Um, she was at a, a dinner that that we were both at the, at the same same dinner, the same host, and. Um, I got to handle some scissors that she made, and I, I don't know that I've seen anything finer than that. Mm. Like that—that that was just—I mean, they were—they were—they were 
extraordinary. It was the only thing she had there that she'd made. And it was the only thing she needed. That's all <laughs> That's she right. needed. Oh, they were they were spectacular scissors. I just and she 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 went into uh, a little bit of detail about her her doctoral work mm-hmm. discussing Damascus steel. Like I I was just like what. How do I? Why do I not? Why do? Why does not everyone know about this? Um, She's the sort of person that I, I could quite happily sit and listen to talk about the things that she's interested in for days straight <laughs> without sleep. Um, yeah. The amount of knowledge that she has blows me. And I'm used to Sam. Sam is a walking <laughs> encyclopedia of blacksmithing and bladesmithing knowledge, and Grace is just—I don't know how she fits it all in there. Great uh, Grace is is me on steroids with access yeah. to like some of the best museums and and stuff like that around. And she lives in Sheffield. It's the yeah. the place to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she kind of lives in the heart of it all, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. <laughs> Definitely uh, go back and have a listen to that episode. It's the uh, the one just before this. She, she's yeah. Um, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful lady. And she's going to be trying to make it to um, the next Blade show as well. Oh. So you may get to run into her again. That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. Now, um, directly inspired by uh, Grace and a challenge that we've put out that was also inspired, inspired by Grace, um, we set uh, monthly challenges for our listeners to push themselves and test their abilities. And this month's February's challenge is to make a set of um, small single piece snips, little, uh-huh. little uh, sort of mini scissors, thread cutting scissors, all from uh-huh. one piece of steel. Um, so no hinges, no uh, no latches, no separate blades, all one piece. So uh, that sounds it, hard. It, <laughs> it is. It's, it's, you look at them on a bench somewhere and you think, oh yeah, that's a simple little thing, but they're actually remarkably complex to get right. I would imagine the heat treat is not a simple task at all. It's the the, the heat the treat is probably the, the easy part. part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it will make you understand scissor geometry in a way that you didn't realize was possible. Um, <laughs> and it's it's the sort of they, they are the most basic type of scissor you can make, but they are not basic to make. They are incredibly complex, and so we we're trying to push our listeners. By giving it a go, and I encourage you to uh, to have a go as well. Uh, you should you should uh, take it to the uh, the other two boys at your work, and uh, oh, maybe all all three of you try <laughs> making a set because you should be I... able to make it in a couple of hours. Um, but you will learn a lot in the process. <laughs> I've I've already been sent like six messages from six separate people just going because I when we put this challenge out I was like this is the biggest pain in the ass that I've ever had I have tried to make six pairs of these things and never actually succeeded and everyone was like yeah it'll be alright and then <laughs> like, half of our listenership is like okay all right. You weren't lying. <laughs> I, I infamously don't really take part in the challenges. I should, considering I put them out. Um, but this one, I, I, I do intend on on doing. I want to uh, show you all how it's done. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it would be pretty dang impressive um, to show to to just be able to make scissors. That's yeah. a, that would be amazing. Sam amazing actually makes that. scissors. Um, like proper snippy snip, oh, yeah, that sort right of thing. Yeah. Sweet, he's a clever fella. Um, <laughs> but making the little single piece ones—that's, um, yeah, it, those it, are my it, favorite it, ones. Throws... The ones that are—are the, are you talking about like the ones that lay open, like when they're relaxed, um, they're just it, apart. Yeah, they can be, or depending on how they're made, sometimes they'll sit together, but um, basically it's sort of like a U-shape and there's blades at the tips at the crossover. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. They're usually they, they they're used in each seam, seamstressing for cutting threads um, or sometimes in like violin work where they cut off the extra string with them. Um, but like on the Forgecast cool. Instagram page, I've recently posted a photo of a set um, to inspire people. Basically like the old school sheep shears. Yeah, but a, but a miniature oh, pair, yeah. Yeah, yeah, something that something that you operate with just a thumb and index finger. Um, so it won't take much steel to have a play with. Um, so because you, you let me tell you, you'll be doing multiple sets <laughs> trying to get it right. 
<laughs> but the geometry is uh, deceptively difficult, and the uh, the way that they are put together, the heat treat is actually genuinely the easiest part of the build. Yeah, the okay. the blade opposition, just getting the the blades to oppose each other properly and not bind mm-hmm. up, is the hardest part. Because there is there is bend to the blades, there is cant to the blades, there is twist to the blades. The way the spring sits. Um, they all have to meet in exactly the right place, be under just the right amount of tension, be sharpened in just the right way uh, in order for them to work and work well. <laughs> yeah, but the the last, um, we, we've got some scissors at the house here, and I, I don't know who makes them, but they're made out of titanium. And I, I broke them. It was an accident, but the little pin, you know, came out. And I, I just got a good look at them, you know, and I... I at first, I was like, "What? What idiot made this? Like, this it's is terrible! <laughs> like, I was just it's like, it's twist in that it. <laughs> way, and you know, it was propellered yet. Like, it, you know, it yeah. was, and I'm like, what the? And like, how how is this working? And I put it back together, and I really, you know, watched, you know, where the where the blades come together and how it all meets. And I'm like, well, no kidding, idiot! It has to be out of its own way. It has to get into its own way to work back here. There's so many things that have to slide past each other, and it's without... only ever cutting at one place at a time. Yeah, it's just amazing. But I just I just assumed I wouldn't be able to make one, and now you you've have me thinking that I can. <laughs> well, if you if you do uh, if you do decide to give it a go, and this goes for our listeners as well, um, we want to know about it. So use the hashtag on Instagram hashtag #forgecastchallenge, or one word, and um, yeah, show us the photos. There's no prizes for this month's one. This is just to test yourself. Uh, but next month's challenge is another prize one. So uh, stay right. tuned for that. But um, no, that's a, that's about it for the show. Um, big thank you to you, Jesse, for taking the time to yeah. come on and chat to us. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Like, you, yeah, you guys, um, I, I, I enjoy this this candor, uh, this style of of discussion about um, about what we do. Uh, thank you guys for doing for doing this. Yeah, uh, you, you, this is you, you, this you is awesome. Listen. Listen to the show as you work. Throw it on some headphones because it's all. This is just how we do. We, we've had <laughs> yeah. some very. We've had everyone from Kyle Royer and Jay Nielsen and Niels Vandenberg, and getting an insight into everybody's minds and way of doing things is just. It's mind opening. Heck yeah! This is the way it's done. This is the way. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a Mandalorian fan? Yeah. Thank you but, for uh, knowing about that. <laughs> if, if you, um, if people want to find you, where would you prefer they look for you? Um, I think for now on on Instagram, um, Instagram is the best place. Uh, I am building a website. And I'm trying to do a do this thing proper, and um, eventually, if I have things for sale, I'd like to lead them to a website. But for now, Instagram would be the place. Uh, um, Jesse Miller made. That's yep. the handle I use, and I'm usually responsive to that. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and um, if people want to find the the Forgecast, and uh, you can always email in questions if you've got blacksmithing or bladesmithing questions. Anytime you you want them answered on the show, just send them through to ask.forgecast at gmail dot com. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can always DM us on there. Slide into our DMs. And um, if you're looking for Sam, where can they find you, Sam? You can find me at Sam Towns Bladesmith on Facebook, Instagram, Etsy, Patreon, Redbubble, YouTube, Twitch, the kitchen sink. Where can they find you, Alex? <laughs> I go by Valhalla Ironworks, and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. That's about it at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Limiting his spread. Oh, yeah. I'm a busy man, and I'm getting old. But we all... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they say you're as old as you feel, so I'm only about 96 <laughs> at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's about right. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys, and thanks again, Jesse, for coming on, and we'll see everybody yeah. uh, for a new episode next week. See you guys.